uh, last year this time, about the same time, we were actually over at Key Middle School doing our 2022 Generosity Feeds event. And um, for Kara and I, it was, a, it was a great event for a couple of reasons. One, we love doing the Generosity Feeds events. This is um, not the only church we've done that at. We did it at the church before here. So we've done like six or seven of those events. And they're just incredible in so many ways. But the other thing that we were really excited about was once we bounced from Key Middle School, we were on a four-week sabbatical. What that means is... No more emails from you, no more text messages from you, no more phone calls from you, no more you from you, right? So we're going to take four weeks off from you, and you're probably like, well, it really, we got to take four weeks off from you, Chad, so maybe you appreciate that, I don't know. Uh, but we were pretty excited about that, to take a break. We, we've been in ministry many years, and it's the first sabbatical we've ever been given, and so we, we decided we're going to use that time to do some house projects. And specifically, uh, we wanted to remodel two of our bathrooms, okay? Now, uh, if you were here last year, you know I talked about this a, a little bit and told you what we did once we got back from sabbatical. And I showed you some before pictures. Our house was built in 1970, and uh, the bathrooms were still living their best 1970s, okay? And so I got a couple of images from what those bathrooms look like. Here's the, the yep, exactly, the blue bathroom. We call it the blue bathroom. And then here's the other one. It's the, like the yellow and brown bathroom. And some of you are like, well, that's what our bathroom looks like at our house right now, too. <laughs> like, we spent, we spent a lot of time planning. Uh, I watched, I think, every do-it-yourself YouTube video you could find, which I decided is full of liars. Those people are liars, right? <laughs> if you've done it before, you know. They lie about everything and make it look easy and cost-efficient. It's never either one of those. But... Um, <laughs> But, but the deal was, you know, we put together a plan, we had our budget, which is, again, you know, you kind of blow through, and a timeline, and we went to work. But we knew our purpose. Our purpose was to get to this place of where we remodeled both of these bathrooms. Now, last year, and over the course of the year, some of you have been like, hey, you never showed us what it looked like after you got done, okay? So here's actually what our bathrooms look like now after we finish with them. don't believe me we smelted some gold and that's why we have that yeah so there's the blue bathroom it's now the gray bathroom and then here's the brown and yellow one it's all very bright which it has no windows in it so it's got to be bright but anyway there you go uh two thousand dollars an hour with materials Kara and I come work at your house okay like there are things we know we do in our life that have a purpose to them right home projects work projects uh, you know, hopefully you know the purpose for why you get married and dating and finances, all that kind of stuff. But, but do we know our purpose for life? Because I think sometimes that's the hardest purpose for us to figure out. And so today, as we continue this series called Finding, we're going to talk about finding purpose. Now, Joel, last week, talked about finding life. And some of you may be saying, well, finding life, finding purpose, aren't they the exact same thing? They're not. So we talk about finding life. There's this thing. There's something that you, you're trying to live for, right? And, and as Joel talked about last week, when we talk about finding life, he was talking about trying to find Jesus in your life, finding what Jesus looks like for you. But when it comes to finding Jesus, that's not the ending point. In many ways, it's just the start. So we find Jesus, but then we got to figure out, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And once we find that new life, we can begin to live out what that purpose may be. 
And so over the next few moments, we're going to talk about what that purpose is. And we're actually going to go back to the letter uh, called Philippians. Joel read quite a bit of what I'm going to read today. Uh, he wasn't supposed to, but he did, right? But uh, <laughs> he was actually doing it to set up what he was going to talk about. But, um, but I'm going to expand on a lot of what he read last week here in Philippians chapter 1. It starts with verse 20. Paul writes these words, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Last week, Paul told you, or excuse me, Joel told you, as Paul was writing this, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest. No, he does not have an ankle monitor on. He is literally chained to Roman soldiers. And they didn't give him a break. This is 24 hours a day. They would work in shifts and come in. So whatever Paul was doing, someone is there with him the whole time. And so I want you to think about that context that he's writing in. And so as we, we look at this letter to the Philippians, what we see is he's, he's full of encouragement. I don't know about you, but if I'm under house arrest and there's some dude with me, everything I do, I'm not going to be very encouraging to people, right? But here's Paul who's encouraging this particular church. church. He's encouraging this group of people. But not only that, you can sense and see the excitement he has for his own life. Again, it's kind of amazing to think about what he's going through and what's happening here. Now, why is he, he excited? Well, he's waiting to be put on trial. And he's hoping this is going to be the opportunity for him to stand in front of Caesar and to tell Caesar the story of Jesus. And so as he begins here, he uses this phrase, his first words here. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I never will be ashamed. Uh, that phrase there, fully expect and hope, in the Greek is one word. And it's actually a word picture. Uh, how many of you are big fans of that terrible movie, Titanic? Any Titanic fans in here? Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, terrible movie. Anyway, um, I like the story that it told. Them. I didn't really care about the love story, but that's just me. Um, I got a question before I go on. It has nothing to do with the, the message. Okay, can I just go ahead and throw this up? Let's, look at this image right here. How many of you think that Rose was a murderer? <laughs> Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, I mean, I think there was plenty of room there, and maybe some of you engineers can figure out the weight differential and all that. But anyway, I just had to figure that out. Not important to anything we're talking about today. But let's go back to the movie. A little bit earlier, there was this image in this moment, and you probably remember this, right? So as Paul is talking about fully expecting and hoping, this is sort of the word picture that he has in his mind. That word actually means to, to strain forward, to, to look towards the horizon because there's something coming. You're excited about what's ahead, kind of like we see in this image. Again, Paul cannot wait to be in front of Caesar so he can tell the story of Jesus. And he wants to be bold in this. He wants to be uh, courageous in this. But really, as you read this, what else does he say? He doesn't care whether he lives or dies. He knows why he is here. As we begin to read this passage, I feel like Paul knows his purpose for his life. But you know what? He shares that purpose. In verse 21, Paul writes, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I use the NLT because I find it easier to read. And some of you, if you're used to the NIV, you probably notice for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But it's saying the same thing here. 
which takes me back to the 1900s, uh, specifically the golden years of the 1980s, 1990s. Some of you were alive during that period. And um, in the corporate world, you remember we uh, corporations were writing these purpose statements? I mean, these were, these were carefully wordsmithed statements to say, this is why we exist, right? This is the purpose of this company. And then that began to kind of filter down into individuals, and we started writing our own purpose statements. And we're like, this is why I exist, and this is my purpose for living. And why did we do that? Because we wanted to know why we existed and what, what our purpose was for, for living. And, and maybe some of you still this day, you live by that purpose statement you wrote 30, 40 years ago. Maybe others, you wrote it, and a week later, you, you've totally forgotten about it. But it was to remind us, hey, here is our purpose. And if we look at these words here in verse 21 that Paul writes, in fact, if, if you read these words in the Greek, it reads like this, to live Christ, to die gain. That's it. To live Christ, to die gain. As this letter is being writ, read out to the people in that Philippian church, because that's how they would do this, they would get these letters from Paul, and then Paul would, or the people there would read these letters to the church, they would have gotten to this verse. Now, they didn't have verses and chapters. They would have gotten to this, this, these words right here, this, this phrase, to live Christ, to die again. And it would have kind of stopped them in their tracks. Because of the way it's written, it would have been a, a powerful statement from Paul that they would have stopped and digested fully what he was saying. Now, as we read those words, to live Christ, to die again, the first thing we see here is this is Paul who's saying, hey, you know what? This is my purpose for living, to live Christ, to die again. He's saying everything I do, everything that I'm about, my whole life is fully about Jesus. But he's like, you know what? If I die, hey, guess what? <laughs> There's something even better. So whether I live, whether I die, it doesn't make any difference because I'm going to live for Christ. And if I die then I am going to gain something even more. So here he's saying, this is my purpose for living. But Paul's also saying, hey, if you follow Jesus, do you know what your purpose for living is? To live Christ, to die gain. That if you follow Jesus, your life is all about doing everything you can to follow and live out this life that we've been given through Christ and the hope that we've been given through Christ, but also understanding that at some point in the future, Man, there is something so much better out there for us. And so Paul is like putting out this purpose statement for so many people who follow Christ. But if you're here and you hear that, you're like, okay, I think I can get behind that, but how do I get to that place? Well, Paul kind of gives us some ideas of this. We go back up into chapter 1, starting with verse 9. Paul says this. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you would keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now as Paul kind of begins here, he really gives us three actions that help us uh, begin to get to this place of living out this purpose First little thing he says here, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. When you and I hear that word love, for us love is love, right? 
just in the way that we use it. Uh, we can say, I love ice cream, and we can also say, I love my spouse. Now, hopefully, those aren't equal in any way, shape, or form. And so we hear that word love, and then we kind of have to think about the context, the, the who or what is that love towards. And because of that, we can say, well, if you say you love ice cream and you love your spouse, I think you probably love your spouse more than you love ice cream, right? Well, in the Greek language, and again, we've, we've chatted through this before, there are different words that are used for different kinds of love. And Paul here uses the word agape. We, we find this word all throughout the New Testament. And agape means unconditional love. And yet, as you and I, as we think about the love that we have for other people, how many times do we put conditions on it? How many times do we say, hey, I'll love you if. I'll love you only. See, we like to put conditions on the love that we have. But it's not just with other people. I think we do this to Jesus, too. Like, hey, hey, Jesus, I'll love you if you answer this prayer. Hey, hey, Jesus, I will, I will love you if you heal my mom. We, we put conditions on the love that we have. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's like, when I'm talking about loving unconditionally and agape, I'm not talking about putting conditions on your love. I mean that you love unconditionally. That there are no conditions that are there. And this is the love that you have for other people. And this is the love that you have for Jesus. For how many of us do we love with conditions on it? And then for others of us, how many of us love unconditionally? Because if we want to live out that purpose to live Christ to die again, it means that we have to live a life that is full of love and that love has to be unconditional. And the more that love is unconditional, the more it overflows into the world around us and the better our chance to live out that purpose well Paul continues on here in verse 9 he says this the second part he says and that you will keep on growing in knowledge that word knowledge Paul uses means religious knowledge uh, what he desires for people is to know scripture and the reason he wants people to know scripture, he's like, hey, the, the more you know scripture, the more you're going to learn what unconditional love looks like and the bigger the impact is going to be on your life, on the lives of others. Now, Paul, he didn't have the New Testament like we have, right? Uh, he, <clears throat> he is actually writing the New Testament, parts of the New Testament right here. But up until this point, based on some dating for when books were probably written and letters were probably written, there were probably four New Testament books that would have been available or starting to be passed around or some of it being read in these churches, wherever they may have been. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and also James. And so when he talks about knowing Scripture, that's what he's talking about. It's like you're knowing the story of, of, of Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, who, what Jesus did. Uh, and, and so this was, this was information that was starting to get out into these churches. Plus, you got the whole Old Testament, right? So when he talks about this, this religious knowledge, that's exactly what he's talking about. Now, he wants them to grow in knowledge, but it's not because he wants them to be smarter. He's not trying to give them a PhD in Scripture. That's not what his, his goal is. It's because he wants them to grow in their faith. It's because he wants them to know Jesus better and connect better with Jesus. 
Because the more they knew scripture, the more they knew the story of Jesus, the better it was going to be for them, the easier it was going to be for them to connect and follow Jesus and to live out that purpose, to live Christ, to die, gain. Now, I know in the church world we talk a lot about reading scripture and some are like, yeah, man, I, I do that. I'm good. I take care of that. And that's great. And others, you know, we kind of hear that like, man, that thing is written like 2000 years ago. I mean, it doesn't really fit today's world, right? It doesn't have any content. I mean, now nah, this, I don't really need to do that. There's a field in science known as neurotheology. And neurotheology studies the relationship between our brains and our religious experiences. And what they're finding is that people who practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and like reading scripture that it has this amazing effect on the body, that they're experiencing significant activity and responsiveness in three areas of the brain, the frontal attention lobe, the medial prefrontal cortex, and the nucleus accumbens. So science is going through this and trying to connect to see what this connection is between spiritual disciplines and, and the brain. Here's what they're finding. They're finding as people, for example, read scripture, there is a release of an increase in dopamine throughout our body. And we like us some dopamine, right? It makes us more focused. It makes us more motivated. It makes us more happy. And so the more dopamine we can get, the better we feel. And so scientifically, we can see there's this connection between spiritual disciplines and our bodies, our hearts, our, our mental capacity, everything about us. But even more than that, not only does it change the physiological part of us, it begins to change who we are. A few weeks ago, Gary, uh, Joel, and I were up in Baltimore for a preaching seminar, and a guy gets up and he's talking uh, about, you know, here's some of his ways he does preaching. And, and he said, hey, there's been some recent research about people who spend time reading Scripture. And here's what that research was looking into. If you read the Bible more than four times a week, how does it help you when it comes to like temptations that show up in your life? And these numbers just are astonishing. Um, if you read the Bible more than four times a week, drinking to excess drops 62%. Viewing pornography drops 59%. Sex outside of marriage drops 59%. Feeling bitter, we talk a lot about bitterness, drops 40%. Thinking destructively about yourself drops 32%. Having difficulty forgiving others, we talked about that on Easter, drops 31%. Experiencing fear or anxiety drops 14%. Why is this happening? Because people who have really busy schedules like us spend time throughout the week to invest in reading Scripture. And we would think, well, that doesn't really make any difference but it actually it does because the more we read scripture the better we know Jesus and our our faith begins to change and we begin to change and when you and I begin to change you know what we live out we live out that purpose to live Christ to die gain and oh by the way when we do that too you know what else we do we love more unconditionally and that love begins to overflow. And so Paul says, keep on growing in your knowledge. But the end of verse 9, he says, keep on growing in your understanding. That word he uses for understanding is wisdom. It really means, uh, you know, your, your moral compass. Um, 
This August will be 25 years of full-time ministry for me. And so I've been in the church a little while and uh, experienced people a little bit. And so I think I can speak pretty, pretty well in this particular idea here. But there's this pattern that uh, Karen and I talk about a lot that we see in the church and the pattern is sort of like this. You've got like a kid who grows up in the church, and maybe they're regular attenders. Maybe they just show up a few times a year, whatever it is. There's, there's some connection to the church. And so they go to church, but then they, they graduate and they go to college. And, uh, and they go to college and things change, right? And maybe this was you. Maybe this is your kids. You go to college, and a lot of people just kind of like, hey, uh, college brings about questions, and there's, there's doubts, and there's freedom, and there's, you know, D, all the above. And, uh, and kids tend to, students tend to drop out of, of the church world. Uh, in fact, the data says about 66% of kids who were somewhat connected to a church growing up will jump out of that world when they go to school. And, and so you got these college kids and students, and then they graduate, and uh, they get a job, they get married, and oftentimes they will not jump back into the church world. For myriad of reasons, that's my parents' religion, you know, those Christians, they're old fogies, they got weird ideas, the teachings, whatever it may be, whatever TikTok they've watched, that is, the, you know, now the world's defined by that. Sorry, I had to throw that in there, but um, it's kind of defined by that. It's how they get their religion, right? And, and, and so they're like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay where I am because I'm doing pretty good. Like, I, I'm doing pretty good on, on my own. But something big happens. These things called kids many times show up and if you have kids you know that kids change everything right like at one point in time you would go to a restaurant when you didn't have kids and you would see this couple and they'd have their kids and you're like man we are never going to be those kind of parents when we have kids we're not going to let them yell and eat whatever they want to and watch their phone we're not going to do that you have kids and you're those parents now right well, there's something else that happens. You, you have these kids, and they start to have their own ideas and thoughts and opinions and words. And you're like, we got to get these kids some help. You know where one of the first places are that parents like that go to? It's this. It's the church. And in fact, Karen and I have had so many conversations with parents who will walk into a church and say, hey, you know what? We're here. This isn't for us. We're good. We got it kind of figured out. We're, we're, we're good to go. We're not here for us. We're here for our kids. Like, we want our kids to know morals. And by the way, where's the only place we can figure out that teaches morals? It's the church. And so we came to church, not for us, but we're here for our kids to learn morals, right? Now, parents, hear me out. If this is you, this is your story, hey, kudos to you, honestly. Um, I know you may say this isn't for you. We hope at some point it will be for you, but, um, and we know how God works. But, but thank you for bringing your kids. Uh, they're learning morals and more uh, down in Journey Kids, and that's a powerful statement. You're willing to do that. But I would say for all of us, being able to have this moral compass in our life is so important. Now, Paul uses this word wisdom right here, and that wisdom brings discernment, which helps us make better decisions in our life. 
And that wisdom helps us follow God's leading in our life, which helps us better understand our purpose to live Christ, to die gain. And oh, by the way, where does that wisdom discernment come from? It comes from spending that time reading Scripture. And when we're reading the Scripture, guess what that does? That takes us back to loving people more unconditionally in our life. And now we're starting to live out that purpose. But what would that look like in us? Uh, look at verse 10. Paul says, For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Paul's like, when you understand these things, when you are living them out, then you will fully know what's important and you'll begin to express that by making that purpose your purpose too. But he's like, what does that look like in your life? He uses this phrase, he says, live pure and blameless lives. That first word pure is derived from the word sunlight. And uh, you know, back in those days, um, they used to wash their clothes in a water basin. Some of you that were like really born in the early 1900s remember those days maybe. Like you, you would take your clothes, because they didn't have Maytag, right? So you take your clothes, you have this water basin and maybe some detergent or something in there, and you'd, you'd rub out and do everything you could to get that stain out, and then you'd pull it up and you'd rinse the water out, and then you would hold it up to the sunlight to see if it was pure, to see if the stains were gone. And if they weren't, you'd throw it back in there and you'd go to work. But if you pulled it up and the stains were gone, then you could hang it up to dry. Like Paul's saying right now, here, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things you should do is you should hold up yourself to the sun, talking about Jesus, and see what you see. Are, are there still stains there? Or are those stains gone? Are we putting our lives out there in such a way that we are working to grow our faith, to understand Jesus better, to live out this life that we have been called to live or are there still stains there? Now listen to me. Some of you are like, well, I'm out because there's definitely stains there in my life. But if you're spending time growing in your faith, following Jesus better, becoming more wise, loving fully, you're going to start to see those stains go away. And so here's Paul. He says, hey, you need to live this pure life. But he also says this blameless life. Now, you would think those two kind of go together, right? They sound like they, they fit. But when, when Paul talks about blameless here, he, he's not talking about sinless. He's not talking about perfection. Uh, he's not talking about staying free. That word blameless means roadblocks. He's asking the question. He's like, are you setting up roadblocks for others? Great way to explain this is uh, Mario Kart. Anybody a big Mario Kart fan? Yeah, there's like a movie that's out. It's supposed to be really, really good. Um, Easter was here. Our staff, and I know many of you volunteered, did a great job that day. But our staff worked hard that day and many days up until that point. So we try to celebrate. Things go well. We try to celebrate after something like that. So on that Tuesday, we went to Dave and Buster's to, to eat and to play some games. And uh, we had uh, a crew of people there. And uh, this is them playing Mario Kart, right? And I don't know who won. Maybe, the, maybe uh, Casey's got a big smile on her face, so maybe she won. But, um, but if you think about Mario Kart, you know there's those boxes that kind of have the question marks on it you try to hit? Because they're like prizes inside that aren't really prizes, they're weapons. And what do you use those weapons for? You use them as roadblocks so that nobody else will pass you so you can win the game. It, it, uh, 
In the Greek, this is what Paul is saying, for real. It says, don't be like Mario Kart and put up roadblocks to destroy others. That's what the Greek means right there. <laughs> or better yet, don't let your pattern of behavior get in the way of you reflecting Jesus to others. And sometimes we can think we got it all figured out, but we keep throwing these roadblocks up where people are getting destroyed and they can't keep moving forward. For instance, something like knowledge, okay? Think about knowledge. Knowledge is, is not bad. It's good and great to know scripture, but we can use it to show off or to put others down or to put more roadblocks out there. A great example of this is the Pharisees and Jesus. Pharisees were knowledgeable. They knew the scripture, right, backwards and forth. In fact, they had memorized all of the Old Testament. And yet in that, what did they do? Over and over again, they kept throwing roadblocks up. Kept throwing roadblocks up. Like, hey, you're not quite good enough to follow God now. Hey, you need to do this if you really want to follow God. But we're not called to throw out roadblocks. We're called to live a stain-free and roadblockless life. We are called to be changed. We are called to be a reflection of Jesus to the world around us. And when we can be that reflection, we can live out that purpose to live Christ to die gain. How do we know if we're doing okay here? Look at verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Some of you like wineries, right? And like every weekend, you go check out another winery, and I know this because I see your Facebook post with your picture there, okay? Which is cool. Go do that. Be smart. Do it in moderation. Whatever. But um, if you've ever been to a winery, or even if you've driven around parts of Virginia and many other states these days, like on the side of a hill, you'll just see a bunch of grapevines, right? But uh, those, those grapevines don't just like poof, have grapes on them. There, there's sort of this process you've got to go through to, to get these, these grapes. If you've ever planted a garden before, you know what this is like. You, you know, you got to plant, but you got to get the seeds, and then you got to till the ground, and then you know, sometimes you're on your hands and knees, and your fingernails are just full of dirt, and your hands are dirty and callous and bleeding, your knees hurt, because you're down in that dirt, and you're getting it prepped and ready to put the seed in. And then you put seed in, you got to put some fertilizer in it, some water, and then you got to watch it, and you got to care for it, you got to pull the, the weeds out, and you, you got to keep water, and you got to make sure no bugs are infesting it. I mean, you got, there's so much work to do, it's hard work. But you do that for one purpose. It's the end, right? It's the fruit that you're hoping will come from the work that you have put in there. But the process can be long and hard. Paul talks about this fruit being produced in you. This fruit doesn't just show up. Like it takes time. It's a process. It's hard work. It's these things that we've been talking about. Reading scripture and gaining wisdom and loving unconditionally and working to live this stain-free life with no roadblocks for others. That is hard work. But in the end, that hard work can produce fruit. And what does that fruit look like? Well, Paul talks about that fruit in Galatians chapter 5. Um, now, again, depending on when Philippians and Galatians were written, uh, it's highly likely Galatians was written before Philippians. And so as Paul talks about this fruit here, they would have known that that was back to that letter that he wrote to the church of, of the Galatians. And, and sometimes they would actually pass those letters around to other churches. But here's what Paul writes in Galatians 5.22. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control 
Paul says this is what the fruit looks like in your life. He does not say fruits. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? Here's this list. You get to pick which fruit you want to be. Like you can't say, you know what? I'd like to be kind and I'd like to be full of peace. But man, patience. Nah, I'm not going to give in to that one. I'm going to keep that one for myself. He doesn't say that. He's like, no, this is the fruit. This is the one fruit of you. This is what you look like when you're fully following Jesus. And so when our purpose is to live Christ, to die, gain, and we are working towards that, and there's this process that we are going through, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be changed, but you're also going to be fruitful. And hopefully at some time, like Paul, you'll get to this point in your life where you're beginning to share that change and that fruit with people around you. And it's not only you who has changed, but you are helping to change other people who are then beginning to produce their own fruit. Paul ends verse 11 this way. He says, by the way, if this is what you do, if this is how you live, here's the outcome. He says, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. When we take on that purpose to live Christ, to die again, this is who we become. And it's not for me, and it's not for you. We do this because of Jesus Christ in our lives. That this is all about Jesus. And you know what? I can't produce that fruit unless Jesus is working in me. I, I can't produce that fruit unless Jesus is working through me. I can't produce that fruit unless I hold on to that purpose to live Christ, to die, gain.